Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast, where we share stories about how healthy cash flow is critical for the health of your IT business, automation is paramount, and how building trust with your clients by looking more professional is going to help grow your business. I'm your host, Dave Scott, and today we're honored to have with us the CEO of Logic Speak, Jason Etheridge. And today we're going to chat about some pretty in-depth things about the wins and losses inside of what it takes to grow an IT business. If we had continued on that path, we would have imploded um, because we would have never been able to keep up and, and all of the growth that we would experience have, would have eroded. Here's the podcast with Jason. Well, hey, Jason, thanks a lot for joining us on the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, so talk to me a little bit about the name of your company, where you are from, and what you all do. Let's start out with your uh, your baseball card stats. Yeah, there you go. So uh, my company is Logic Speak. We are a managed services provider here in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, we've been in business for almost 14 years now. We started our company in uh, 2004. Wow, 14 years. That is a That seems like a long time in business years, doesn't it? That, that's like a lifetime in dog years. <laughs> yeah, it is. If it was a chihuahua, you'd be old and gray underneath your chin, right? <laughs> so, Jason, talk to us a little bit about the problems that your MSP solves. And maybe um, if you want, you know, um, this is this is all about you. So do you verticalize? Do you specialize in one thing? Do you service just healthcare, nonprofit, education, small B2B business? And so talk about the vertical that you serve and maybe the problems that you're solving for your clients. Yeah, yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, we are we don't actually do verticals yet. Um, we do have core competencies in a couple of different uh, verticals, but we haven't yet kind of said, you know, these are the verticals that we service. Essentially, what we say is that we focus on professional services companies, generally B two B companies that have a you know that you primarily use technology for their business. And um, so, kind of the problem that we attempt to solve is to to bring proactive managed services to the, the, the client so that, um, so that they're down less often, so that they are more efficient, more productive, and ultimately, you know, we're more profitable because the, more, the less time they're down, the, the higher our margins. That makes sense. So talk to us. You touched on a little bit about the pain points you solve for businesses, but who is your ideal business? Who's your ideal persona or your ideal client and why? Yeah. Um, so, you know, throughout the maturity of our company, you know, just, just like many small businesses, you start uh, by doing work for anyone who will pay you, <laughs> and you'll do anything that they'll pay you to do. And, uh, you know, over the last 14 years or so, we, you know, we have, um, we've started to kind of mature and grow in, in knowing who we are. You know, we're a teenager now, and so, um, you know, we think we, we know kind of who we want to be. And so, um, you know, we focus on companies that are anywhere from 20 employees all the way to our largest customers, about 400 employees strong. And um, so, you know, uh, engineering is a good uh, target for us. The, the engineering space, I happen to be married to an engineer, so I kind of have an inroad there and a, the inside track on the, the unique challenges of, uh, of an engineering firm. And then we are also really heavy into the financial services sector. Um, financial planners, accounting firms, um, CPA and tax firms as well. I like it. Yes, being uh, being married to an engineer sounds sounds crazy cool. I like that. It has its unique uh, challenges as well as its unique benefits. We're a two small business family, so we we also have a two year old, and so we we like to say we actually have three kids. That is awesome. So does she is she a partner at this firm, or she just worked there as a W two employee? 
No, she owns she owns her company as well. So we are, uh, yeah, we're wow. fully immersed in the entrepreneurial spirit. Let's say it that way. So talk to me a little bit about that. Let's go down that path because typically, what we find in in with our um, our partners or MSPs is that it's usually a husband and wife team. Uh, wife will do sales, marketing, bookkeeping, whatever. The husband might do the actual implementation, onboarding, technical aspect, or you know, vice versa of those roles. It it, it all varies per company. But you, that is super unique. How how does that work inside of your house every night? <laughs> it, it it works on an ongoing basis. It's, we have to be very intentional. So um, her company is a little bit younger than mine. Uh, you know, like I said, we've been in business for about fourteen years. She's been in business for about five or six. So um, you know, I, I've probably hit certain milestones before her. Um, there is kind of the tendency to want to participate in each other's businesses to give each other advice. And, uh, and we do that when requested. We certainly talk a lot about business at home. But we decided very early on that we wanted, we wanted husbands and wives and not, um, and not business partners and that we couldn't do both. I know, I know a lot of people, you know, who, who are husband and wife teams. We both are type A, you know, kind of red people, if you're familiar with those color terms. So we're both, you know, we, we, we decided we couldn't really work, with, work for each other. Um, but, but we do talk a lot about business and, and, you know, of course I provide all the IT support for her company. And, um, so if we're not intentional, work can take over and, and we'll put our son to bed and, and both sit at home on our laptops and, and work through the night. Um, so it requires, you know, there's a tension between spending time, you know, at home with each other and, and kind of focusing only on work. And it's, it's one that we constantly manage and don't always get it right. And the pendulum swings back and forth, but, uh, but we try our best to, to, to both have really healthy family lives as well as to kind of focus on our businesses as well. Good for you guys for being committed to doing it. And, yeah, I love that word intentional. Um, that's a word we use a lot around here in the office. And I got to imagine carving out time for yourselves and your family and your little boy. That's got to be challenging, carving out time and not becoming um, you know, overworked, so to speak. It, it is a daily it is a daily intentional thing that's for sure yeah one of our guests um bob delisa he was on our podcast a couple weeks ago and he talked about your business being your mistress and you can get lost in it and if you're not intentional with your time um it can not only be good but it can be really bad so i'm not sure if you can relate to that sentiment more than you know <laughs> yeah i bet so talk to me about the role inside of your company, um, and thanks for sharing what you did about your your family um, your family dynamic. That is really neat. What's the role? What what role do you play inside of Logic Speak, Jason? Yeah. So um, the the good news about kind of having the growth that we've had, and and we certainly are in that we you know we're still a small business, but we are at at least at a point of what I would call mass. We have we have a, a critical mass where I I have made it to just being the president and kind of participating in the sales organization as well. But, um, you know, I don't on a daily basis take tickets. I, I'm not working, you know, kind of in the business on the on the boots on the ground side of things. Um, I really do get to, you know, to focus more on um, and, and not exclusively, I, you know, let's not kid ourselves. I still I'm still a very technical resource. I do still help out from, a, you know, from an architecture perspective on projects as well as you know, escalation of really complicated problems, I'll, I'll certainly weigh in on and try to help. But, you know, my, my primary job is vision casting, um, leading the organization, managing our finances with my accountant. And, and, you know, kind of, you know, from a high level, it's funny, we talked about this today, uh, me and my service manager, you know, looking over the trees down, down at the horizon, not, not getting kind of buried in, in each tree, each ticket, each project, each, you know, each deliverable. Yeah, man, I wish more CEOs practiced that, right? You know, it's it's so hard 
to let go of a lot of those things you've been doing for so long, you know what I mean? So it's really difficult to look over the trees, so to speak, and not get down into them, isn't it? No, oh, it's for, for several years now, I've had kind of a word of the year that, that I kind of talk about in our company kickoff and, and that we try to kind of tailor things around in terms of what we want to accomplish for that year. And the first time I ever did that, my first word of the year was intentionality, that, that ultimately we should do everything as if it were on purpose and that we and that we have to intentionally decide what we're going to accomplish. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very important word to me, actually. You know, there's a pastor friend of mine named Matt Chandler, and he uh, he was diagnosed with brain cancer about six or seven years ago, and he was in his late 30s by that time. And after he went through that bout of cancer and he got cured and everything and moved on from there, that was really his word, being intentional. And he's a super intense, focused, very goal-driven individual. So, you know, I feel like um, you have some of those attributes, and, and I love that about individuals who, you know, who really put that into practice. And it's hard. It's hard to not get distracted and waste time. And um, you know, but to your point, it's so important. We have such a limited resource of that. So it's good that you guys have figured that out. Yeah, well, we, we try. I mean, you know, we, we certainly every every day is not a success. But but, you know, when you're trying to do that, when you're being intentional, even if you fall off the horse, even if you fall off the wagon, the next day you hop right back on and, and kind of set about accomplishing the goals that, that you set out. And um, and it's you know, it's it's very it's clarifying from a vision perspective or vision casting perspective when you set. When you set your mission kind of clearly ahead and, and everyone at our company knows what our mission is because I have it literally plastered on almost every in almost every room of our company. Right. Because I want people to see it every single day as they walk through our office. I want them to constantly be reminded of what we're here to do and what we're in and why we're here, essentially. And so that's 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 kind of important. Jason, talk to me about, you know, speaking of intentional Let's be intentional and talk about some of the wins that you've had over the years. Share with us, if you could, about maybe some of the top couple of victories or wins that you've had over the last 14 years. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. So, you know, probably my story in a lot of ways mimics a lot of your listeners. And, and you know, we when I started out, I, I was working for another company and uh, we got gobbled up and acquired by Hewlett Packard. And um, so we went from a company of 200 and something employees to 140,000 employees, which talk about wow. culture shock, that, that, that is the very definition. And um, so I worked there for a while and, and then my business partner who I started Logic Speak with and I decided that you know, it was time for us to kind of branch out on our own and that we, we really had a passion for the small business and that, that's what we had known and, and where we'd kind of cut our teeth. And so um, that's why we started Logic Speak and, and you know, ultimately the name Logic Speak comes from the fact that that we want to translate technology into the terms or into the language that our customers speak and, and you know, into business so that we're not, you know, using three-letter confusing acronyms and, and kind of geek speak that we're actually translating what we know how to do into our customers' business. And so that's where the name came from. But, yeah, you know, so we, we grew, you know, our first three or four years were, you know, high growth, double, triple your revenue. You know, people find out that you've, you've struck out on your own. And so you get a lot of organic growth that way. And then in 2008, you know, we, we hit the housing crisis, and and thankfully we weren't that tied to the commercial real estate industry, so we, we kind of had to hang on with both hands. We we took a haircut, and people always ask me, you know, what was that like to go through, and and would you do it again? And certainly, I would never choose to do it again. But but I will tell you that that was a very clarifying time for our company because we had we had gotten fat and happy. Uh, money had always come in. We, we, you know, we never really struggled for money before, and had some uh, a pretty big name client that kind of helped to keep keep us from worrying about money. But but again, we had gotten fat and happy, and and um, 
weren't as concerned with the, the profit margins. As long as there was money in the bank, we were, we, you know, money was increasing every month, and so it was no big deal. Well, so when the housing crisis hit, we had we were forced, as many companies were, to have to learn how to do more with less, and and ultimately to have a hyper focus on efficiency. And and those lessons that we learned in 2008, while I wouldn't choose them to do again, man, I I wouldn't trade them for the world, because it it has shaped the the very nature of who we are as a company and. And our, our focus on metrics and our focus on efficiency and, and, you know, productivity, those things we got, you know, we cut our teeth on those things during the crisis. And that, that, that's been a huge win. So um, we made it through that, uh, you know, that, like I said, we all kind of took haircuts and, and kind of made it through that and then started growing again as the market started to improve and, um, you know, kind of really started to, to hit those, you know, not necessarily doubled and tripled, but, but really consistent growth rates. And in uh, 2012, my business partner, who I had started the business with, he had two kids, had a wife, and and uh, was kind of getting burned out. And uh, I, at the time, was still single, and so I kind of carried the mission that we had originally started with and the vision for the growth that we wanted to accomplish. And so we, we kind of had made the decision that that one of us was going to buy the other out. And since he was burned out, and I still carried the mission, that it that it would be me that bought him out. So. Going, through, it was a very interesting process, and in which I, we could talk for a whole nother podcast on. But the process of valuing your company and trying to decide what it's worth to you, if you're going to buy it, what what ultimately you intend to do with it, and, and what its value has for you. So I did that. I, I you know we we negotiated on a number over over the next three months or so, and he felt like he didn't get enough, and I felt like I paid too much, which means it was probably the right number. And then you know when the deal is done, the dust is settled. You sit back at your desk and. This thing that you now own outright, or after three years when the payments are made, the thing that you own, you now have to decide what what is this thing going to be? What do I what do I want it to be? Because um, now it's yours. Yeah, now it's yours. There's no one else to blame. Yep. You can't say, hey, this guy didn't do you know what he what he was supposed to. It's, right. it's now yours. And so the first thing that I did, and and I don't really remember why. It probably was via a leadership podcast that I'm a big fan of that I that I kind of started to to learn about this, but. But I really wanted a clarifying mission, um, and that that I, I needed something to, to kind of laser focus or to point my employees to, as as what was going to be Logic Speak 2.0, and and the example that I will use real quickly is that you know when we started our company, you know you go through the business planning and you know you kind of follow traditional business planning and oh well you need a statement of, of value, you need a mission statement, you need you know all of these things. And so we had this big, long mission statement that was three paragraphs and talked about shareholder equity and it, it, it just all kinds of stuff that no one cared about, nobody ever read. And if you asked any of our employees, they couldn't, they couldn't tell you a, sing, a single thing about it. So I, I started the process of creating a one-sentence mission that encompassed what I believe and what I wanted Logic Speak to be. And that's what we rallied around, and that's what I rolled out as Logic Speak 2.0. And so, if if you if you might if you'll indulge me, I wanted you know I wanted to tell you what our mission is. It is our mission is to use our abilities and technology to have a positive impact on the lives of our clients and our employees. So it doesn't say anything about shareholder value. It doesn't say anything about you know business success or you know all of these things. At the end of the day, I feel like I'm put here on the planet to have a positive impact on the people around me. And by way of extension, that's what my company is here to do. We're here to serve people. And to have a positive impact on their lives, and if we've done that, then I feel like everything else will work itself out. I love it. There's one thing I want to go back to though, and that is a awesome mission statement. I love it. Super clear, super succinct. It tells what you do um, from a technical perspective as well. So I, I love that addition in there. You talked about uh, when you 
uh, had parted ways with your former business partner. And by the way, it sounded like it went as, as good as it can. And I, there's a friend of mine who owns an M&A company that actually services the IT industry they're called Revenue Rocket in Minneapolis. And I hear all about the trials and challenges oh. of M&A and buying out partners and uh, buy-sell agreements. So, yeah, I, I can totally relate to it's, it's emotional when it's something. It is. You- you know, it's it's like it's like Solomon splitting the baby, right? At the end of the day, you've got to take this company and decide who's going to take the baby or or split it up. And and fortunately, Jared and I, um, he was a man of integrity. He never wavered in that, and so we were able to have a very um, uh, calm, rational, but sometimes emotional conversation about the value. And at the end of the day, we're still friends. He's moved on to another company, and so we still get together every three to six months and chat and commiserate and laugh and cry together and so it's um you know we we i i really feel good about that because because as you've said i've, I've heard horror stories where courts get involved and yeah um it's just it's just awful but that it, it went really really well yeah good do you ever miss it do you ever miss having a business partner to bounce ideas and thoughts on and lean on in times of trial that is a great question actually that no one has ever asked me so you are you are person number one to ask me that question um I will tell you what I do miss. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the being in the trenches with somebody where there's no other choice but to succeed together. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of miss the shared, how about this, the shared yoke, the, the burden that, that you can walk with somebody with. Um, we we probably, my advice to, to people today when they talk about starting businesses, especially if they start with a partner, is that it shouldn't be 50-50. We started with the best of intentions. We started with shared focus and shared goals and shared ideals. But but it's kind of like I believe in a marriage. It has to be 51-49 at the very least because at the end of the day, somebody's got to be the tiebreaker. And if you're not, then you ultimately, and this is what we fell into, you ultimately make decisions based on the no's, based on we can't agree on this, so ultimately the opportunity passes by. So you know it's not a very good business practice to make decisions based on what you can and can't agree on. Right. And so I, I, if Jared and I had been for 51, 49, we might still be in business together today, but, but when you're 50, 50, it gets to be very challenging to, to make each other agree on things. Yeah, it can. And I was in business with my college roommate, best friend. We've known each other since we were, gosh, 18, 19, 20 years old, whatever it was. And, you know, we're both in our forties now. And, um, yeah, when I left that partnership, when I left, um, left working with him on a daily basis. That was the biggest thing I missed. I didn't miss, I mean, I, I missed the daily grind and the sludging it out in the trenches. And you know how it is. You're working together for a common purpose and you're serving customers and hopefully making people's lives better and, and you know, making a few bucks for yourself as well. But yeah, the camaraderie, um, the, the sharpening of iron as iron sharpens iron. Um, that was a big thing that I missed, you know, that we don't work together every day anymore. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like you can totally relate. And, and what I found, just real quickly, just for, for your listeners, the, the way to replace that, um, especially if you get as you get to a certain size, because as you mentioned, it, it does get very lonely at the top. And, mm-hmm. and, and it gets stressful because you know that ultimately the buck stops with you every single time. And so that, that can be a very kind of isolating um, feeling. It, um, I, I work with an executive coach, and, and his recommendation to me was, even if you're the only owner, you should have a leadership team around you that, that can share the burden. And, and you know, I had never done that because I didn't want to burden other employees. I, I didn't want them to feel like they had the burden of the company when they don't have any ownership. But he, he asked me a very, a very clarifying question. He said, when you were working for another company, 
if the CEO of that company had invited you into the conversation in terms of the leadership of the organization, would you have felt like it was a burden or would you have been privileged to do it? And I said, oh, my God, I, I would have loved it. It would have been, you know, it would have been amazing to be part of those conversations. And he said, why would you rob other people at your company of that opportunity? And so that so I, I did that. And now I have a leadership team and we meet twice a month. Um, and and I and I'm and I literally I, I have hands open in that meeting. It's I tell them it's a, a meeting of equals. It's not me versus them or, or me telling them it is literally us around the table deciding how we're going to lead this company forward. And I can bring tough decisions to them. Hey, do we need to let go of an employee? Hey, you know, here's our here's our revenue. Here's our net profit. Have a look at it and tell me what you think. And so it, it's helped me to be able to, to, again, have that camaraderie, have the the the, um, the the partnership of people who care about moving the company forward. Now, you, you've got to pick really good people to be on that leadership team. But if you do, they'll help propel you forward and, and you'll you'll be able to replace that feeling. Yeah, I completely agree. And, dude, that is so spot on. There's a book that I have in my office. I'm actually looking at it right now called Team of Rivals. And, and it's about Abraham Lincoln's choice of his political cabinet. The whole point of the book is he found success, incredible success, because he surrounded himself with good individuals. Some of them were really stubborn and pointed and direct, but that made them sharper and better as a team. They all had a deep, profound respect, love, and care about each other, and they all expressed that in written word. So it's a really touching book, and it's a really good book. You should read it sometime. I'll check it out. I, similarly, I read the, uh, the big George Washington biography, and uh, it's funny you mentioned that because George Washington did the exact same thing. He, he had yeah. Hamilton and Jefferson, who were arch rivals, and they were part of his cabinet. So. Yep. So talk to me about the day you left your old nine to five job. And it sounds like you uh, possibly were acquired. So let's go back to that for a minute. You touched on it a little bit earlier. What was the, the feeling like the, the instant or maybe the, the moment that you knew that being self-employed was the direction that you were going to go in? So talk me through that day where you left your normal nine to five and ventured out to create Logic Speak. Sure. So to back up just a step, so when my business partner that I started the company with, I actually recruited him to work at that company that we got acquired at together. I got I recruited him to come work for me, and um, he he said to me, I will. You know, he had just gotten married, and he said, I'll come work for you at this company um, if you'll agree that within five years we'll talk at least about starting our own business together. And so you know, I said, Hey, of course, happy to. You know, I, I didn't know it would come so soon. I said, Happy to do that. And it was only a year later when HP bought us, so so it was uh, it was very prophetic that uh, that that would have happened so quickly. Um, but in terms of starting our own company and and how I felt about it, I know this is going to sound weird, but but I think I was just young and um, excited enough that from a risk perspective, I, I kind of calculate everything based on the the probability of something happening or or the risk that that something will happen. And and so I've never been been one to kind of shy away from from a calculated or a strategic risk or, you know, one where I believe the probability kind of weighs in my favor. And so I, I, I never had any sort of fears around starting my own business. I think I was young enough as well that I, you know, I, was, I think I was 26 or 25 at the time. I didn't have a family. I didn't have a wife and a child to support. So I knew that if everything, if everything fell apart, that I had a network of, of really close friends and family that any of which would take me in. And so, you know, you kind of have to be willing when you hang your own shingle out there or when you start something that is just kind of like like um, Columbus, right? When you get to the new world, you burn the ships. 
And, uh, and that's, that's what I did. You know, we, we, um, we, it took me a while, you know, to, to, again, to, to leave HP. And of course, Logic Speak was well underway at that point. I mean, you know, we had everything planned and we had, you know, our, our kind of business plan and our first client even. And so it was, it was really kind of perfect timing. So I got the call, Hey, you know, you're, you, I'm sorry, you know, I'm really sorry. You're going to be laid off. And, and they granted us seniority from our old company. So I got three months worth of severance. And so that, that three month salary was, was really kind of the foundation of the investment into, into logic speed. So I wasn't upset at all. I'm like, Oh, okay, no problem. Great. We're good. And so they were kind of shocked that I wasn't upset. Well, long story short, the HP transition team got word that I had been laid off and I was the only one who knew anything about the infrastructure. So they kind of made their, their way back up HP's HR team and that made it back to me. And they said, congratulations, you're not laid off anymore. And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, what? And I said, well, no, you, you promised. I've already made plans. You know, I, I've got things working and, and you can't unlay me off. And turns out from a, from a legal perspective, they actually can unlay you off. Um, but they kind of made a side deal with me that if, if you'll agree to stay one more month, we, we promise to lay you off again. <laughs> so did the sweet severance come along with it once they relayed you off? It did. It did. Exactly. Because if they hadn't, if they wouldn't have done that, which they were nice and honored that, but if they hadn't, I would have walked, I'd had, I would have had to have quit with nothing. Uh, you know, and so instead I got three months severance. That's interesting. So how did your family feel about your transition as you or your, maybe those close to you, not necessarily your family, because it doesn't sound like you were married at the time, but what did those around you say to you when you decided to venture out and start your own IT firm? You know, and thinking back on it, I think that, um, that was one of the coolest things is that everyone to a person was super supportive. Um, not, not that everyone had advice for me. I mean, you know, that a lot of my friends and family, none of them at, at that age had started their own businesses before. But, um, but I just remember this, this kind of um, outpouring of support for what we were trying to do and for, um, you know, th there was excitement around it. Um, you know, people were, were constantly interested in how it was going and how things were, you know, were progressing and, um, I feel like, you know, kind of like, uh, it, it takes a village. It's it certainly when, when you're going to do something like that, when you're birthing a business and, and creating something from nothing, it's invaluable to have, to have a network of friends and family who, who get what you're trying to do, who are supportive, who, and, and let's face it, who understand when you have to miss that family reunion or when you have to miss the, the guys hanging out to play poker because you're working all night. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of sweat equity that goes into starting a business. Um, and having people that, that understand that and, and who are willing to support you and who bring you a pizza, you know, when you, when you can't look up from your computer to, to, to stop, you know, that kind of thing. It's, um, it's invaluable. It's not, not that you can't do it without it. I know, I know some people who have done it without it, but, um, it, it certainly made that time of my life a lot less lonely and a lot more bearable. Um, to have the underpinning of, of really close friends and family who, who understand. Yeah, no doubt. In that, you t you hit the nail right on the head. It does take a village to grow a business. It does. You can't do it on your own. And the more that you do try to do it on your own, the worse it becomes. So I can, I can totally, totally hear what you're saying on that point. We'd like to take a quick break to highlight our sponsors and some of the things they'd like to offer our listeners. Do you want to generate more leads and learn how you can grow your business using a proven strategy? Ever wondered how you can leverage digital marketing to accomplish this while taking your advertising to the next level? 
then consider having a conversation with Josh Whitford of 5stepmarketing.com. Josh is an expert at helping small businesses grow using innovative tactics that have worked for large brands such as giftcards.com, mycoupons.com, navyseals.com, and many more. Right now, Josh is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you to learn about your market and collaboratively develop an online marketing strategy based on your target audience. The strategy session is free and you have the flexibility to either implement the strategy yourself or have Josh implement it for you. This is a turnkey solution. This is only for our podcast listeners, so check out Josh and his offering at 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. That's the number 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. Our second sponsor for today's show is Bevoip. Bevoip is the perfect channel-only offering for your IT firm and MSP business. Bevoip works with businesses around the globe to incorporate cloud communications into your big-picture telecom strategy. Their program is built for MSPs, IT firms, and cloud service providers, and Bevoip happens to be the VoIP provider for your friends here at ConnectBooster and ConnectBooster's parent company, BNG. So check them out on the web at bevoip.com. And now, back to the show. So talk to me about the why. What keeps you going? You're doing all these things. You left your security. You ventured out. You had, it sounds like, a really great support mechanism, which is fantastic. Very few people have that. You know, knowing all that, that's the functionality of it. Let's talk about the form. Like, what's the why? What, why, what keeps you going every day when you put your feet on the floor at 4, 5, 6, 7 a.m.? What, what, what keeps you motivated to keep going? What's the why behind it? Yeah, so you know, really, you know, as we as we mentioned, that that what our mission is is an outpouring or a flowing, you know, of of my personal mission in life. And so, um, I love to come to work every day. I've had this conversation with other people who, you know, are like, "Oh man, I can't stand my job," or you know, "I wish I didn't have to work," or um, you know, I, "I I wish I could change careers." You know, a lot of these things, and I, and I, my heart goes out to them because. I'm, I recognize that not everyone gets to love their job. Um, you know, it's certainly a benefit, and, and you certainly can use a job to, to pay for the things that you are passionate about in life. So I, there's, there's a model for that as well. But in terms of, of me, I get to get up every single day and come to work and do something that I love. with, with and, and the other thing that makes it really possible is I get to, to surround myself with phenomenal people, people who get our mission, people who are you know, all in and engaged in, in helping us to get further, faster, and to do great things. And so, I mean, literally, I, I'm looking right now, if you look above my door in my office, walking out into our, you know, kind of bullpen area, is are the, is the word serve. And, and really what, it, what I'm passionate about is serving other people. I, you know, I'm a servant at heart. I love helping other people. I love um, that feeling that you get from kind of knowing that because of you, someone's life was made better. And so that that's why I keep doing it. And as long as Logic Speak gets to do that, and as long as I get to work with really phenomenal people um, who really make this place work, then I'll I'll keep doing it. There there's there's no reason not to. That's awesome, man. Looking back over the last fourteen years, there's got to be some points every once in a while where you just put your foot up or feet up on your desk or whatnot and look back and say, man, we've really accomplished a lot. That's true. That's awesome. And and you know it's. it's it's one of those things. So it's funny you just you mentioned that 
if you're not careful, especially as a small business, when, when things are really, really fast and, and it's so fast paced and everything is changing and moving so quickly. One of the things that I talk to kind of budding small business owners or people who've been in the business a, a few years or certainly, you know, my wife and her company is that you have to take that time to look back. Um, not all the time, you know, because we all want we all want to advance. We all want to progress. We all want our businesses to grow. We all want to take over the world. We want to succeed. But you've got to have that time, that really still quiet time to look backwards and see how far you've come. Because if you don't, like you, like we talked about before, it gets lonely and it gets daunting and, and it, you know, what is it all for and is it all worth it? But if you can stop and look back and see how far you've come and what you've accomplished, then it will give you momentum and it will propel you forward to, to, to go further, knowing that, you know, it's kind of like losing weight, right? Like you lose weight one pound at a time and you look up and you've lost 30 pounds and you see somebody after six months and like, man, you're so skinny. And you're like, well, I mean, I feel like I'm the same as I was. But that's because, you you know, you don't see those small increments of, time, of, of investment over time. Yeah. Same thing. You, you kind of have to look back um, to be able to appreciate it. Yep. So I know how firsthand how tough it can be to run a business and own a business. Let's talk about some of those struggles, right? Some of your peers might have delivery struggles. Maybe some of your clients have left in mass. Hopefully that hasn't happened to you because that, that is always that sucks when it does happen. Talk to me about some of the more prevalent struggles that you've worked through over the last few years. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, certainly one of the struggles when I when I bought the company, uh, you know, outright, um, the first thing I had to do was evaluate everything that we were doing. Um, you know, and, and also that the excitement around buying out the company and 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 the 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 um, single vision and the single voice, you know, casting vision. There, there's there's kind of an initial uptick, uh, you know, for your company in terms of, you know, additional clients and growth and that kind of thing. And so we found ourselves, our client base and our revenue grew faster than our internal maturity and systems were growing. And so, you know, that what that causes is overwhelming your people, uh, overwork, um, your, you know, constant frustration with your clients who, who love you and want you to do what they need you to do. But if you can't get to them fast enough at the end of the day that they're going to find someone who can. And right. so, um, you know, we really had kind of a, uh, a crisis of maturity, you know, and back in those days, it was, it was about, I guess now five, five years ago. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so we really had to look at how we were doing everything that we were doing. What systems were we using? Are they the right systems? Are they going to propel us forward or are we suffering or, and, and the way I always say it to my employees, if we had continued on that path, we would have imploded. Um, because we would have never been able to keep up and, and all of the growth that we would experience have, would have eroded, um, you know, not overnight, but, but certainly when, when we weren't able to keep up. Yeah, and that is so important to understand that early on, um, you know, to work through some of those struggles because, to your point, if you don't, the wheels will come off the bus very quickly. Yeah, and, and we've experienced that. I mean, you, you had mentioned that kind of mass exodus. The, the way I've said it to, to my employees is that if, if you don't handle your overwhelm problem, your your customers will handle it for you. Um, they'll they'll leave and you'll be less busy. It just might not be the customers that you want to leave that are going to leave. And, and so you should do that, again, intentionally and decide which customers are the right customers to work with and which ones aren't or else they'll pick for you. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we do is we focus on building a good, clear persona, like right, what, what are the problems and the pain points that we solve overall for who we think our ideal prospect is and our ideal partner is. And then we also identify who isn't, right? Because you don't want to be wasting people's time, going back to being intentional like we talked about earlier. You know, to your point, you have to be um, 
you have to be willing and be careful to understand that everybody is going to grow at certain in certain respects and you have to be um you know just cognizant and aware of that and and you, you know it's <clears throat> who you choose not to work with is every bit as important and sometimes more important as who you do choose to work with i think a lot of times we forget that and and, and again we'll take whoever will pay us but <clears throat> but if you're spending time on com on companies we call it fitting them into our box we yep. have a box of an ideal customer and either customers are moving toward that box and getting in that box or they're already in that box, or they're moving away. Yeah. And if they're moving away from our box, we need to help them find the right company to service them because we are not that company. Yeah. And and that's critical because it'll allow you to focus your margin on the customers that, that do fit your model, that do recognize your value, that do participate in the maintenance of their own systems, and um, and that see the value of managed services. So I, I, I can't echo that strongly enough. Yeah. So automation is critical to any business, as you know, right? So talk to us a little bit about the processes that you've automated and, and also talk about some of the tools that you use as well. Sure. Well, and, and that kind of dovetails really nicely with where we were when I bought the company. So when I bought the company, we were using our own custom developed help desk solution, which, which again, worked well for what we did, but it, but it only did two things really well as opposed to the entire landscape. And so we did that for help desk and then for billing, we literally manually entered invoices into QuickBooks every single month. So, I mean, literally talking about inefficiency, that's why I say we were, we were literally imploding. We could not keep up with, with the growth from a finance perspective, from a billing perspective, and, and certainly from a delivery perspective. So the first thing that we did was we chose a new PSA, a professional services automation tool. We looked at all of them. Um, I, you know, I, because I'm a systems guy, I, my background, which we haven't talked about, but I actually went to school for, to be a developer. So, you know, I kind of love software, you know, kind of like Bill Gates in that way, you know, software kind of will take over the world. But, um, <clears throat> but anyway, so I, I looked and, I, and, you know, it was kind of, it came down to between ConnectWise and Autotask. And, and you know, I know people who love both and, and I certainly would never speak badly of either one. We happen to be an Autotask shop, but, but it was really the key. It was the foundation of our desire to become a systems and a process focused company. And so then we started to build everything on top of that. Um, you know, we layered on an RMM to, to do our, our automation from a, from a uh, patch management and monitoring and management perspective, um, and that was critical. So we we early on we worked with um, <laughs> Hound Dog GFI Logic Now Solar Winds, <laughs> and um, that was kind of our platform. And then we recently have migrated to Autotask Endpoint Management because we really just kind of believe in that single pane of glass. And and I feel like Autotask has a compelling story with the tight integration that they've that they've made in the whole CenterStage platform. Um, so we did that, um, then, you know, and, and, uh, just to kind of plug connect booster a little bit, um, I, I, um, I was at Autotask community live, I forget how many years ago. And one of my buddies there, who's also an Autotask, uh, PSA user. And he's like, Hey man, have you heard about connect booster? And I'm like, no, what's connect booster. And he's like, Oh, let me show you. So he, you know, he logged into his own connect booster portal to show me the solution and the fact that it integrated with Autotask, the fact that it integrated with QuickBooks. Um, so that now we could generate invoices out of Autotask. They could automatically go into QuickBooks. And, oh, by the way, your customers have a place to log in and enter payments, enter their ACH uh, information or credit cards. And, and, you know, from a billing automation perspective, that was, the final, um, that was the final solution in the loop, the closing the loop of working the time, billing the time, sending it to clients, and then getting paid for it. That is awesome. 
How does the automation of those tools, you talked about Autotask, um, some of the other automated tools, obviously Connect Booster is one of those. How have they helped your business grow? What have they done for you all internally? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the real um, magic, if you will, behind managed services is to be able to take to, to be able to disconnect the value that you provide to your clients from the hours that you're that a human is putting what I call jokingly putting fingers, fingers to keyboard. So essentially, you, you want to transform the value to your cut to the customer in uptime, efficiency, productivity, um, you know, ultimately profit for them in how well you are automating what you do. So, or, or, or how you do that is in automating everything that you can do. So instead of having someone manually push a button every time, you write a script to do that. You use your RMM to install software. You um, use Connect Booster to automate people's payments. You use your um, Autotask PSA or ConnectWise to send out invoices and to automatically put them in, in your billing or your QuickBooks software. So ultimately, automation and um, the, the, the kind of elimination of repetitive or redundant tasks helps you to be more efficient, which in turn helps you to be more profitable. So you'll be able to take on more clients and add more revenue without adding headcount and staff. And those staff that you do have will be able to accomplish the value that you provide to your clients much more quickly and much more efficiently. I love it. That scalability is huge as you grow. And it sounds like you're figuring that out. It's a, it's, it is a, I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't do that, if you continue to, to kind of do things the manual way or what I call the brute force way, you'll grow and you'll succeed and you'll, and you'll have success, but it'll be much slower and you'll only be climbing a rung of the rungs of the ladder one, one step at a time. And, and what I mean by that is I climb up a rung, I get a new client, I hire another employee. So I, you know, so then I have to climb the rung of hiring another employee. I get a few more clients, I hire another set of employees. And so, so you're keeping the business going, but are you increasing the value to the bottom line? Are you making, you know, talk about your enterprise valuation? Are you, are you making your business more attractive or are you increasing the value inside your business, the owner's value? Are you doing that or are you literally just taking money from clients and handing it to your employees? Money from your clients, handing it to your employees. If you're doing that, that's not increasing the value of your business. Plus, it's that much more stressful. Like, why would you want to put yourself through the ringer if you don't have to every day? You know what I mean? I've always been, I've always baffled my mind. And, you know, oftentimes I'm my own worst critic, too. So I say that tongue in cheek. So take that with a grain of salt. But, man, it's like beating your head against a concrete or a, um, a steel beam. You know, it's like, why would you continue to do that if you don't have to? And that's the value of creating something that's scalable and flexible. And that's great. And, and, and let's face it, it's a lot easier to be much smaller. If if your net profit's going to stay the same or if the value of your business is going to stay the same, just be smaller. That, that's a lot less stressful. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You know, I've, I was talking with a friend of mine recently. His company is exploding with growth. And he's like, dude, things are so stressful. My business partner and I are fighting all the time. Um, you know, and there's three of them. And he's like, I'm going to cut one of them out of the business. And the other one is just not cutting it. And 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 he's like, I wish I would not have grown to be this big. They're pushing like about twenty, somewhere between twenty five and thirty million dollars in revenue, and they have a couple hundred employees. And he's just taxed. He's burnt out, man. And and I was listening to him, and he's like, I wish sometimes that I would have just stayed smaller. Like I would have, I wish I would have been that solopreneur, that unemployed digital nomad, so to speak, where I had myself and five or ten employees and built a really nice nest egg, you know, like a quote unquote lifestyle business, and. You know, done it that way because as you grow, as you know, it's almost easier to stay small because of the challenges that come as you grow. And it's not just one. 
it's like half a dozen that'll hit you at the same time. It's hiring challenges. It's funding challenges. It's how you uh, how you write off expenses challenges. It's uh, payroll issues. And do you do you do your payroll differently? It's creating a benefit structure that hires good talent or not. You know, so it's all those little little things. It's your marketing engine, right? I mean, the, the smaller you are, you can take referrals. You don't have to necessarily be really awesome at sales and marketing. But as you grow, there's more competition. And it, you can't do that. You can't do the same things that get you from 2 million to 5 million to get you to 5 million to 10 million. And to be honest, you can't have the same people that, that took you from 2 to 5 to 5 to 10 to 10 to 20 million. And that's another thing my friend is struggling with. He's primarily hired a lot of his friends and some, not his family. He's kind of been against that, but he's hired a lot of really close friends. And some of these guys are very junior level, right? If we were to grade them, like you grade um, the public school, like A, B, C, or D, some of them are B, C, D players, and they're bringing the rest of the team down. And they don't have the skill set and the panache and the moxie to get their company above that hump to get them from 10 to 15 or 10 to 12 and 12 to 15 and 15 to 18 and 18 million dollars in revenue and it's it's a really tough slog so i i completely understand what you're saying you know when you when you mentioned the fact that it's almost easier to stay small yeah i uh, i haven't read it actually so but but there's this book that somebody recently was telling about that the title of which explains exactly what we're talking about what got you here won't get you there amen and to I, that what, it's true that was, that was a very kind of succinct way to put it yeah, and that's you know, and that is really hard. It's really, I mean, you know, you're the CEO, you're the you're the guy. It's really hard when you have to stare in the mirror in the morning and, and think, gosh, I really might have to let this person go, or I might might really have to transition myself out of this role. And you know, some of those decisions are extremely emotional. They're extremely taxing, extremely stressful. But you know, it's like Marcus Lemonis once told our CEO at IT Nation a couple years ago when he keynoted. He said, hey. I get all those things, but that's the bed that you made. You need to sleep in it. And that is part of the territory and going along with it. And if you don't like it, get out. And if you, if you can slug through it, then, then it's for you. And, um, you know, th those were tr truer words. I don't think were ever spoken. Yeah, for sure. So I wrote a blog piece a few years ago called the 31 things I would tell my younger self. It was one of the more therapeutic blog pieces I've ever written. If you could go back, Jason, if you could talk to the younger Jason, what are some things that you tell yourself? Oh boy, we don't have enough time for that, nor enough uh, therapy dollars. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the biggest thing that I would tell myself, starting out my business again, it, you know, and, and again, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people, you know, in the industry who either are just starting out or or really want to grow or you know just just want to commiserate with someone who's been there, and and essentially the kind of the two things that I focus on most often that I would tell myself or that if I could do differently, I would, would be to, to be intentional sooner in my life because it took me a little while to figure that part out and, uh, you know, to decide ahead of time where I wanted to go and what I wanted to accomplish. And then, um, and the other thing would be to read the book, The E-Myth Revisited Sooner so that I could understand the value of systems and process, even when it was just me. And when I read it, it was literally like, how does he know? That's us. That's me. We have that problem. And, and essentially the, the solution, you know, not, not to give away the punchline, but the solution is you should treat your business, even if you're just one person, like it's a franchise, like it's Ray Kroc's McDonald's, um, you know, and, and make the hamburgers the world around the exact same way. And if you can kind of if you can uh, internalize that that vision of systematizing what you do, 
it will make no matter what size company you want to have, it'll make getting there a lot, a lot faster and a lot less pain. Those are wise words that you would tell your younger self. Well, Jason, what's one thing that you'd do differently knowing what you know now? So I, in typical fashion, I'm not going to be able to do just one, but I'm, but I'll give you one or two. So the one thing I would do differently is I would, I would use a PSA quicker. Um, you know, we, we thought for a while we could, we could write our own help desk system and, and, um, <clears throat> and sell that. And so we, 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 we kind of, we're kind of suffering from what kind of company do we want to be? Are we a software development shop or are we an IT shop or are we a help desk shop or, you know, whatever, are we a product company? And so I think I would have abandoned our, our, you know, kind of custom built help desk solution or never even gone there. I would have gone with an auto task or a connect wise a lot more quickly. Um, that, that I think would have made a big difference. And the other thing that we did that was super transformational is that we found a coach or a consultant in our industry who helped us remake our service delivery process. And, and ultimately that has been one of the most transformational things that we could have done was to, but because at the end of the day, it was like, you know, whoever wants to take the tickets that you want to take, you know, build the relationships with this, these people, but, oh, if this ticket comes in, I don't want to take it. I mean, we, you know, we, we really kind of hadn't focused on the maturity of how we delivered our services. And if we could have done that sooner, I think we'd probably be double the size that we're at now. Yeah. And that's part of the operating maturity model too, right? I mean, you have yeah. to understand some of those things sooner than later. And yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying about getting a PSA sooner than later. I think that's really great wisdom. Jason, what's one thing if you're talking to a young guy, young gal, young couple, whoever it might be, they're just starting their journey as an IT business owner. Lastly, what's one thing that you would impart to them? What's one piece? What What's one nugget of wisdom that you would share with them or one or two? Yeah. No, and, and honestly, I think I think this is the this goes back to the other thing I would tell myself back at 26, is the business will take it, it, it take as much time as you'll give it. So if if you if you give it 80 hours a week, it'll take 80 hours a week. If you give it 100 hours a week, it'll take that. If you give it 60 or whatever, so you need to decide up front when you're starting your business. That, that you can set that you'll set some guardrails for yourself around how much time you're willing to give your business. Not that there's not a season of life that you that you put in 80 or that you put in 70 or whatever, but set some guardrails so that you don't lose that connection to the outside world, so that you don't abandon your wife if you're already married when you start your business, or that you don't not see your children grow up if you have small children when you start your business. Or like I was, when you're single, that you don't delay getting married because you don't spend time dating because you're focused on growing your business. All those things are, you know, starting your business, growing your business, those things are great and they, they need to happen. You'll need to put in sweat equity, but you need to set some guardrails so that you don't let a season of your life pass you by. And then you look up one day and you wonder, where did all the people go? Yeah, that is fantastic wisdom and knowledge. I think, um, there's a couple of friends of mine that have passed away um, suddenly of cancer in the last year. And it's been really emotional for me. It's been really hard. It's been extremely eye-opening. And one of the things I've heard time and time and time again is I regret not doing this. I regret yep. not spending time with this. You can make more money. You can buy more cars. You can meet more people. You can network more. You can always watch goofy cat videos and Tony Robbins videos on Facebook till the day is long. But you'll never get more time. So... Go ahead and start. Go ahead and do what you want to do. Go ahead and start that dream. Go ahead and take that step and 
realize that it's often not as hard as our, our it's not it's often not as hard as we think it will be versus what our mind portrays it to be if that makes sense so that's great wisdom and to your point if you don't do that you'll look back at 80 years old on your deathbed and go dang i really wish i would have done this differently absolutely jason lastly where can people find you um, yeah, so uh, my website uh, is um, www.logicspeak.com, um, and that's L-O-G-I-C-S is in Sam, P-E-A-K.com, uh, mm-hmm. and um, you can reach me at uh, Twitter at Jason underscore Etheridge, um, E-T-H-E-R-I-D-G-E, and uh, I would love to, to interact with you guys. I mean, certainly shoot me a, a tweet or a direct message, and, uh, and I, if there's anything that, that I can help with, I... The other thing we really didn't talk about is I've, I've done some consulting with other small businesses, um, you know, to kind of help them, like I said, help them kind of move further, faster. And, and if there's any, if there's anything I've learned uh, along the way, I, I love kind of trying to help small businesses either make, not make the same mistakes or make different ones, or maybe learn from some of the things that I've, that I've done. So if there, if there's ever an opportunity where I can do that, I love to invest back into, into other small businesses to try to help them um, to do some things well. Before we end today's episode, we'd like to thank our sponsors, 5-Step Marketing and BVoip. Don't forget to take advantage of your free one-hour marketing strategy session with Josh and his team. That link again is 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. That's the number 5, 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. And check out BVoip if you're looking to improve your telecom strategy. You can find BVoip online at bvoip.com. Jason, this has been wonderful, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's always good to catch up with you. And thanks, everyone, again, for joining us today on the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast, where we believe that healthy cash flow is critical to your business, automation is paramount, and building trust with your clients by looking more professional is ultimately going to help you grow your IT business. To learn a little bit more about our podcast and listen in and download all of our recent shows, visit us online at connectbooster.com forward slash podcast. That's connectbooster.com forward slash podcast. And to learn a little bit more about Jason's business, like he had said, visit him at logicspeak.com and feel free to follow him on Twitter. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us on today's show. We'll talk to you soon.